Welcome to Table Radio Season 2. Today's sermon is from our Big Table Gathering on Sunday, September 19th. Enjoy! We read from the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans. This is verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then our passage for today is chapter 12 of Romans, verses 3 through 8. For the, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself or herself more highly than they ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So I'm going to start by telling you a story and take you back to 1991, Woodland Middle School basketball team. Go Trojans. We were visiting Hawkinson Middle School. This is grade seven. I'm on the basketball team, obviously. Um, Not really, obviously. This is my only year, first and only year playing basketball. I was terrible. I hated it. I was glad when the coach wouldn't put me in. I felt funny, felt like a fool. I didn't want anyone watching me play basketball. Super self-conscious. No idea why I even signed up. Anyway, one of our games was about an hour away at Hawkinson Middle School, and this is in Washington State. And when we're on the road, we have our away green jerseys we take, as opposed to our home whites. We use whites at home. So we get to the school, I get in the locker room, I'm opening up my bag, and my heart stops. Because I didn't pack the away greens. I packed the home whites. So I'm terrified to tell my coach. By the way, great picture of 13-year-old version of Andy basically walking through life terrified of every social interaction. But I calm myself down, deep breath, think it's fine. I made a mistake. And guess what? Silver lining, I don't have to play. I get to sit this one out. It's going to turn out all right. I just got to get through telling my coach. This won't be so bad. But here's the problem. Hawkinson is not very good. In fact, they're not good at all. And the coach had a plan for this game that I didn't know about. He's planning to play the second and third string players all game. Now I'm going to start the starters. Now I'm going to play the starters for, for anything. So he finds the opposing head coach. They have a conversation and someone brings out a Hawkinson away jersey and they give it to me. Problem solved, says the coach. Wear this. So their color is blue. So they're wearing their home whites. My teammates are wearing the away greens. And me, the grade seven Andy, who is terrified of being noticed and rather hide in a cave than stand out anywhere, is going to be the only player wearing a blue jersey, and I get to play the whole game. And I was awful, like historically bad. I felt totally embarrassed the whole game. I couldn't not think about it. The blue jersey, standing out, 
Everyone else thought it was great. My teammates loved it, making fun of me. Coach had a constant smirk on his face. He was enjoying it. Even the refs were making jokes. At foul shots, they'd sign up, all right, line up green, white, green. And I'd line up and they'd say, no, 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 we said green, white, green, ha, ha, ha. Couldn't dribble, I couldn't pass, I couldn't shoot. Not because I wasn't physically capable of doing those things, because I was constantly thinking about how I looked and who was watching me. I couldn't focus on the game. I couldn't just play. I had no fun. And none of my teammates could do anything when I was out on the court because I was the point guard and I had the ball to start every possession. I wish I could say that game was exceptional, that only because I had stand out with the blue jersey, I couldn't play the game the best I could. I couldn't be a good teammate. But the reality is that that moment only intensified what was happening all season long. I was always worried about how dumb I looked, how bad at basketball and sports I looked, and what it said about who I was as a human being. Silly, but I just never enjoyed the game, never just played. I also wish I could say that year playing basketball was the only time that I felt that way, but it wasn't. I was often so afraid of being what? Not enough, not good enough, not smart enough, not strong enough, not anything enough. But when I was good at something, anything, I accentuated that. I drew my focus there, and I worked very hard to draw everyone else's focus to that one place. Look at this part of me. This is what makes me enough, worthwhile, interesting, important. Enough. But it wasn't enough, not really. And as I got older, I slowly began to realize that I was not alone in this feeling, in this pursuit of enoughness. I began to find this state of being almost everywhere I went. It seems to infiltrate every aspect of our lives. How our bodies look, which can be an indicator of health or discipline. We focus our diets to try and control it. There's a romantic life and companionship. What does who I am with say about who I am? What if I'm not with anyone? Does it say something about my value, my worth? Am I enough? Disclaimer, there are good reasons to go on a diet and to desire a companion. I'm not saying those things are bad, but this is the point. Everything, even good things, sometimes especially the good things, easily snares us into a trap of measuring ourselves. Could be our work, our career. Does it tell me who I am? What about the kind of parent that I am? Does having kids give me value? Does it make me enough? And let's not forget the moral dimension of our cultural moment. This is an easy place to try and score points. Got to be selfless, responsible, kind, non-judgmental, generous, politically aware, politically correct. How do I signal my virtue to others? For a lot of us, there's a pressure to measure ourselves, our enoughness by our ability to show others that we are good people. We're okay. This idea of being enough or enoughness, the Bible calls righteousness. It means being just or justified, being good, in right standing, ultimately right standing with God and one another. The church is full of opportunities to feel righteous or unrighteous. Everything from simple attendance to volunteering, how many meal trains you signed up for this year, how much are we giving, do you believe all the right things, how much are you praying, how much are you reading your Bible, and so on. But for a lot of us, all this work, it doesn't do the trick. We still come away with a gnawing sense that it still isn't enough. It doesn't soothe that deep down itch of enoughness. We always want more. 
Even as I'm listing these things off, some of you are identifying the particular areas in your life where this is true for you. Because we get caught in this cycle of deep shame and embarrassment for the areas of our lives that we deem to be empty, not good enough, hiding in the locker room so we don't have to go onto the basketball court, and then over-accentuating the areas of our lives we perceive to be impressive or at least competent. We take refuge in knowing we've got the good career or the right beliefs about politics or whatever, and we hope to God it's enough to cover the deep chasms of darkness that seem to dominate the rest of our life or at least to distract us from it. On that basketball court wearing that dumb blue jersey, I wish I could just blend in. Be like everyone else. We feel so alone and on the outside when we feel inadequate. We're looking at everyone else, and that's our measure. We're constantly negotiating our performance, our way of being in the world, and measuring our value against those around us. It leads to a spirit of competition and judgment. If I can catch someone making a mistake, it makes me feel better about myself. The question is this. Is there a way out of this trap? Go through the options. One, just be better than all those around you. (laughs) Soothe your ego by being better at stuff than everyone else. Better at life. Live there and enjoy it. If you're really that amazing, you're going to get lots of kudos and recognition and congratulations. Lots of us are good at doing this. Get in that lane where I'm good at stuff and live out of that place. Help soothe that feeling of emptiness. I'm enough. Eventually, you know, we do the math. Those things run out. It's not sustainable. We age. We get older. Someone else comes along. They shine brighter. They take our place. The gnawing emptiness makes itself obvious again. Second option, trick yourself into thinking or just believing you're fine. You're okay. I'm okay. My perception is that this is the leading cultural approach to this problem. Self-acceptance. It's a powerful one. It really is. Regularly tell yourself that you're enough and it'll just become true. Or perhaps it's already true and we just need to start believing it. The problem with this is it doesn't have a lot of explaining power. We can have the sneaking suspicion that we're just playing a mind trick on ourselves and nothing's really changed. Why were the feelings there in the first place? Is it really true that I'm okay? Based on what? But I think it is a powerful approach because I think it's Half right. It leads to this third idea. Back to Romans 1, which I read before. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, says Paul. Boast in the gospel, actually, he'll go on to say, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul goes on after this to show how establishing one's own enoughness apart from the gospel, from the reality of God, is a dead end. It doesn't work. There is no solution there. He goes into great detail about everything we just talked about, how even good things like morality and virtue, things we're good at, can be an expression of what the Bible calls sin, an attempt to build up our own egos in a sense of enoughness. In other words, attempting to achieve righteousness apart from God's giving of it. But according to Paul, in the whole biblical story, every good thing we have, it comes from God. It comes from the Creator. And here in Romans, 
Paul's making it as explicit as he knows how. Our enoughness, it's given to us by God. It's not from the law, not from obeying the rules, not by reading our Bibles, not by marrying the right person or wearing the right colored jersey, not by having the right physique, not by your ability to stay on a diet, not by wearing the right clothes, not by attending the right church or attending church at all for that matter, not by being a good mom, not by getting that promotion, not by having 10 grandkids, not by serving meals at the shelter, not by taking the right stance on Black Lives Matter, not by being a liberal, not by being a conservative, not by leading a small group, not by volunteering your time, not by preaching good sermons, thankfully, not by praying more. There's nothing that you can do or say or feel that will ever make you enough. This is the gospel, the good news. God, while we were decidedly not enough, made us to be enough through Jesus, through the enoughness of Jesus. This is why Paul says in Romans 12, you're free. You are free. You don't have to give one iota more of your life to this empty and vain pursuit of enoughness. It's done. That's why I'm okay, you're okay. That's half right. Because if the source is correctly identified in Jesus, it's actually true. Because of who God is and what he has done in Jesus, we are all right. And that's why we're free to give our whole selves over to the one who has done this for us. Never mind that we literally owe him everything. He's also trustworthy and will lead us right. That's why our whole lives are given over. That living sacrifice imagery that Josh talked about last time. When we trust that God has made us enough in Jesus, we are truly free from this trap. This is why Paul can say this next. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of themselves more highly than they ought to think, but rather to think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Now, in the ancient world, low self-esteem hadn't been invented yet. It's more of a modern concept. But their struggle, human pride, hubris. That's why Paul focuses on thinking too highly of the self. But they're really two sides of the same coin, right? Both are pointing to an overinflated or a deflated ego. Same root problem. Trying to justify self. Make sure I'm okay. I'm good. I'm enough. Both pride and deflated ego, they ruin us. Both keep our eyes looking to the side to see who's noticing, to see who's messing up so we can feel better about ourselves. Both keep us keeping track of who's doing what because that's our measure. How do I compare? Paul says, stop it. It's done. That's finished. God made you enough. Where you are right now, he's made you enough so you don't need to play that game anymore. Stop thinking too much about yourself. Paul could just as easily have said it in our own day. Don't think too much about yourself. But instead he says, think with sober judgment. Because none of this good stuff, it doesn't come from you. These gifts, what you're good at. And in this we receive a great gift. The gift of self-forgetfulness. The freedom of self-forgetfulness. Of unconscious selflessness. Unconscious, because you can't will yourself to be more selfless. As soon as you start thinking about it, you failed. Thinking too much about yourself. It has to come from believing something entirely different about who you are. Now you're free. 
free to put our focus, time, energy, resources in other places. We can give focus on the giver. That's that previous paragraph, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Give our whole selves over to God. And here in our part, we can serve the other with a true disinterest in our own needs. Because we're fine. We're okay. I don't need to serve others to feel better about myself. I can just do it because it was the right thing to do in that moment. Also, by the way, I'm free not to serve if the moment calls for me not to do it for whatever reason. And it doesn't need to say anything about me other than I trust God for who I am. This is what's behind Paul's body imagery. We're not competing. We belong to one another. We're on the same team. Don't overdo it, says Paul. Serve in the gifts you are given to serve others and do it in right proportion. Remember that language. You're not going to be your neighbor's savior, so quit trying. You're free to bless them with the resources God has given you and to the degree that you discern is right. Remember Romans 12, 2 from last time? Discerning the will of God, what is good and right and true and acceptable. Be transformed that you may discern. It says nothing about your own worth, value, enoughness because you get those things elsewhere. Do you see the freedom this opens up for you, for some of the people you know? This is the gospel, to truly serve others out of a sense of freedom, love, and joy. Can you imagine what it would look like if we could really live this way as a community? Rather than being afraid of what others might think, if I don't sign up for this thing over here, or I don't participate in that thing over there, I can learn to discern what God is calling me to do, to do it well, and to do it with joy and freedom. Sounds nice. What a fun community that would be. It's predicated on these two assumptions. One, really trusting God for our goodness, for our enoughness, that we're okay. Otherwise, it doesn't work. This is a lifelong commitment, and it's work for us. That's our work, is to learn to trust God. But it begins right away. It's something you can practice today. And the second that this trust issues in seeking God's will and how to use all of our resources. It requires discernment. Because it's not just about giving until there's no more need. We die. And here's the promise. His service is perfect freedom. It's joy. It's peace. As we grow in knowing God, we grow in receiving his mercies and gifts that transform us. The way we think, the way we live. And it is Freedom. So I'll end with a story about how I play baseball. Way better than basketball. I love the game so much, and I can lose myself in the game. Forget about myself. Just play it. Have fun. It makes me a better player. It makes me a better teammate. I learned to love the game so much, I didn't care about stats or performance, how I looked, who was watching, only playing and enjoying the game. This is the image Paul gives us of loving the giver so much we lose ourselves in the game. We find pure joy and freedom in seeing the body of Christ work and grow and function and be whole and healthy. We become better teammates, better neighbors, that others want to be around because there's something free, profound, and joyful there. This is Christ at work in us because God has made us enough in him. So God, we give you thanks for this great gift. That you have made us enough. And you free us from this trap. And you give us the gift of self-forgetfulness. God, would you help us to believe that? Would you help us to do the work of trusting you? That we may freely 
love one another and serve others. In Jesus' name, amen. Perfect in your ways, you place the stars above, and you call it good. That's why we praise you. Thank you for listening to Table Radio, an extension of the life of the Table Church a community in Victoria, B.C. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by the Preparation EP, written and arranged by Coco Relieve, and can be found at thetablechurch.bandcamp.com. To learn more about our community, please go to tablechurch.ca. Light up every path strength and be our guide. You guide